Episode 6 of the Idaho Sports Prepcast presented by Project Filter. And this week we have Sport Information Director of IdahoSports.com, Matt Harris, with us. Matt was at the Idaho High School Activities Association board meeting last week, which was held at the Shoshone Bannock Hotel and Events Center. And, boy, there was a lot talked about there at that board meeting, Matt. And, you know, one of the things that we'd like to talk about is the Milk Bowl. Uh, you know, they're talking about the site rotations. We thought we had everything figured out, but it sounds like there might be a few changes to it this year. Yeah, there's been some changes to it, and it's not anything that the IHSAA did or didn't do. It just has to do with the venues itself. And the only one that's really in question right now, Sven, is the Kibbe Dome. And, and this is what was discussed. It was brought up by Ty Jones, who is the one who is specifically over football for fall sports. And he basically said that any games that are held on November 9th or November 16th at the Kibbe Dome would have to potentially be played in the morning because the Kibbe Dome needs to be cleared by the afternoon on the 9th so the arena staff can prepare the Dome for the Idaho Vandals game the next day against the Montana Grizzlies. But on November the 16th, the venue is going to close in the afternoon so that the staff and a production company can set up the arena for a concert that's going to be held the next day. So that's obviously thrown any potential Milk Bowl or even semifinal games that are looking to be played on a Friday into question at the Kibbe Dome. And so they actually had to come up with an interesting solution here, and they haven't finalized it yet because obviously we don't know what will potentially happen, how many games will be held at the Kibbe Dome or anything of that nature. So if there is multiple football matchups, the IHSA has discussed potentially uh, holding them at area high schools uh, or, of course, holding them maybe even in Washington, like places like Joe Albee Stadium in Spokane, uh, Eastern Washington University in Cheney was mentioned. I asked Ty about the potential of hosting it in Pullman, since Pullman's only like eight miles away from Moscow. And uh, he said, you know, all those things are certainly in play. We just kind of have to wait and see what ends up happening. Yeah, and I know some people might be a little skeptical about the holding it in Washington side of things, but there is, you know, precedent, so to speak, of that happening in the state of Idaho as the 3A state baseball tournament is held in uh, Treasure Valley Community College for years and years and years. Of course, this year it's going to be at Melaleuca Field in Idaho Falls, but it's not something that hasn't happened before. So from that perspective, I mean, obviously you'd like to keep it in Idaho, but I think during that time of the year, you want to get the best turf field facility possible. And as Ty mentioned, you know, indoors, if at all possible. But if that can't happen, then you play at, you know, Eastern Washington or something like that and at least get a good facility with nice turf out of the deal. Right. And that's kind of what he said. He said, we prefer to play it indoors in a turf arena, if at all possible, you know, referring to Holtz Arena or Kibbe Dome, or of course, a place like Albertson Stadium that has turf. He then said, you know, if we can't do it there, then we try to go to an area high school that has turf. And, you know, Middleton and Eagle has been used in the past for, uh, uh, for state championship events for the Milk Bowl. Uh, he said then, well, okay, if, if none of that's available, if, if there's supposed to be matchups uh, in the northern region, well, what do we do then? Do they move it to an area high school that has, you know, a, a field that's not beat up and just mashed up or anything at that point? Of course, you know, those regular natural grass fields, they take a beating over the course of the season. And by the time you reach mid-November, it's literally the frozen tundra. And some of those places aren't in very good shape. So in one of the things that he said to me, he said, look, there's just sometimes that there are circumstances beyond your control that you just have to deal with the best you can and, and with what's put in front of you. And so, again, it's – Obviously, they want to have the best setup for it. And there's more factors that go into it as well, Sven, from just besides, you know, the turf itself. It has to have enough seating capacity. There ha- it has to be a-, a venue suitable enough to be able to host a big event like that, especially, let's say, for example, if it's a 4A or 5A game, which is going to draw a lot of fans to the game, 
the the venue itself has to be able to hold that many people, and then you'll also talk about crowd control and taking care and just everything that goes along with that. There's so much that goes into it, and uh, I I think that you know obviously this isn't something that happens every year where the Kibbe Dome is just not available. Like this hasn't happened in recent memory. Uh, so if they do decide. Uh, if, they, if, they, if the games are played uh, at the Kibbe Dome or are scheduled to be played at the Kibbe Dome, you know, there could be some interesting discussions there. And, you know, it's, it's certainly it's one of those exceptions, not the rules sort of a deal, you know? Right, and it's one of those things that's going to be fun to follow, so to speak. Maybe not fun for uh, the people that have to go planning it, but it'll give us something to talk about as we get into late playoff season. So, again, stay tuned to idahosports.com for more information on that as it gets closer in regards to what they're going to do with games where it would normally be the Kibbe Dome site rotation in the semifinals and the championship weeks. There's plenty of other topics discussed up there at the board meeting, Matt, and I know one of them was in relation to the F1 international students. They also talked about roster sizes for soccer and uh, multiple other things. What are some of the items that stood out to you? Well, obviously the F1 international rule has been the one that's been the topic of discussion uh, for a little while, since that rule was passed uh, in August, August 2nd of last year, uh, kind of a controversial rule because it would bar F1 international students from participating in varsity sports, in like varsity postseason sports, I should say. Let me clarify that. So as like the district tournament or the state tournament. And a lot of that had to do after uh, some complaints arose from smaller schools who didn't, don't have the advantage of being able to have F1 students, I guess. And, uh, you know, the, the topic that was brought up and a main concern of the board, which was stated at uh, the meeting, was trying to prevent recruiting of international athletes via F1 transfers. For those who don't know, F1 students are, for the most part, be able, they're able to choose the school of their choice when they come to the U.S., and they normally remain here for more than a year. J1 students, who are kind of more your traditional one-year exchange students, they're only here for a year, but they also don't necessarily get the choice of which school they get to attend. They're just saying, all right, you get to go to this school and this community, and you know, you'll be kind of paired up with a, with a family or so to speak from that point. So what happened was is this, this F1 rule had been appealed, and it, the, the appeal was led by Genesis Prep uh, in Post Falls. And what happened was on appeal – it actually got overturned and the rule was changed. So the way that it works now, and this, was, this wasn't a unanimous vote or anything like that. It was an 8-4 to four vote in favor of it. What it does now is that F1-designated students who want to play high school sports will now be required to play on the junior varsity level for the first year at their school, but then they're allowed to begin play at the varsity level in their second year, including all district and state tournament events. And the change went into effect immediately. immediately. So... So then you can basically say that this becomes a traditional transfer rule um, as a result. It's if, let's say, someone was to play a varsity sport in their sophomore year, transfer somewhere else, they would have to sit out there and play JV their junior year or something along those lines. And then on their senior year, they can play varsity once again. So uh, it, it's an interesting thing. I know that there's a lot of discussion about it statewide regarding it. I know the Idaho High School Activities Association had a lot of discussion about it. They mentioned during the board meeting that they had talked to several uh, private schools that were members of the association, including uh, Genesis Prep, Nampa Christian, Greenleaf, among others, uh, to try to sort, find a way and to find common ground to make this work. And 
so there was a lot of talk that went into it. There's Obviously, there's still going to be disagreements about it, but that's the rule as it stands right now. Well, and obviously, one of the big things is there's just such wide opinion bases on this particular subject because you get a school like Genesis Prep, and they say, you know, we want to go out there and we want to give these kids an opportunity to play the varsity sports. And then you look at the other side of things, and you've got, you know, a school like Dietrich or a school like Cary that only has you know, their base of their particular area that they can actually get their kids out of. And, uh, you know, they see it as a competitive disadvantage. And, and it's easy to see both sides of the coin here. And it's just one of those things where how do you come up with a, a best case, you know, balancing act scenario? And uh, hopefully for the sake of everybody involved, the Idaho High School Activities Association solution here is uh, something that, that works. I mean, you're only going to get the disagreement regardless, though. So, We've heard that, and uh, I'm, I'm sure the IHSA's heard it as well. But, you know, what do you do, right? Right. I mean, that's the thing. is The interesting part about the board meeting when I was there is how much input there was from the gallery. And the gallery mainly consisted of athletic administrators or other uh, school administrators from various schools. There were some coaches there as well. And a lot of them gave input on this uh, because, I mean, they have, they have a stake in it. And courtesy to the uh, great job by the IHSA to be able to hear them out you know, and allow everyone to say what they had to say. And they brought up questions. I mean, they, they brought up the, the potential that someone had asked in the gallery, do we, you know, create a private school division? Is that a way to solve it? I know that a couple of members of the board brought that up as well. Um, I, I don't think that this thing is over just yet. I think that this issue will continue to be brought up as more solutions are thought of, or I should say potential solutions are thought of. Um, so I wouldn't anticipate this being completely done yet. I could totally see this coming up in a board meeting again, uh, someone uh, filing an appeal of this appeal. You know, it, it's, I, don't, I don't see it being done anytime soon, but for now, this is what it's, what it's going to be. Yeah, right. And I mean, you know, there's just so many topics about it. We'll keep you up to date if anything changes with that as well. But I think this is probably going to be uh, something that sticks into place. Another thing that happened last week, Matt, uh, we got a press release from Payette Superintendent Robin Gilbert, and the press release, the first line of it says, quote, in the best interest of safety for our students and consideration of athletes in partner districts, Payette has chosen to cancel the remaining portion of our varsity football season. Our football team has grown significantly over the past two years under the direction of Coach Kip Crofts, yet started the season with the small squad. So basically, Payette, they'll play JV games moving forward, but no varsity for a 3A school, something that you don't hear about very often. And, uh, boy, they only had eight available players, according to the press release, for last week's game. That's why they had to forfeit against Parma. So uh, it's just tough, tough sledding there for Payette's football program. You know, and you feel so badly for not only the kids because it, it limits their opportunities to play a sport that I'm assuming a lot of them love, but all the work that goes into the season as well, not only from the coaches, but from the administrators, the parents, the fans, so on and so forth. But sometimes there's just a reality that has to be faced when it comes to player safety. And, you know, player safety is really being focused on throughout all of football, you know, not only at the high school level, but you look at, you know, grid kid or, or optimist football, you look at college and the NFL, the, the whole part of, of player safety is such a big thing. And, Sometimes with a program, it just comes to the point where you just can't keep, you know, doing the same things over and over again, expecting different results. And unfortunately for Payette, they have just struggled for the, for so long the last few seasons. You know, you, you get 
the program you know maybe not, maybe just doesn't have as much success and then they, you get injuries and there's less interest in the program it's just kind of a snowball effect from that point on Sven and I think it's something for Payette here to maybe reevaluate and say is it worth and and obviously they evaluate it for this season but maybe going forward saying is it worth it for us to, do we have enough interest or enough potential for future success to even want to continue to try to play high school football at the 3A level and that's that but that's like like you said that's a big thing the 3A level you rarely hear about that about not having enough players to play but gosh I mean that's that's such a tough thing for a school to have to go through so again you look at what would have been Payette's schedule over the course of the last three weeks Weezer, Homedale, and Fruitland will all get forfeit victories for those football games the uh, Payette Pirates obviously will not field a varsity team for those and as a result uh, it just kind of changes the complexion of what the SRV would have looked like this year. But nonetheless, that's kind of the way that they have gone about that. So that's kind of what's going on in the news here over the course of the last week or so. We'll talk about what happened last week in the high school football games from throughout the state coming up next on the Idaho Sports Prepcast presented by Project Filter. My name's Jerry, and I smoked for 30-plus years. I was elk hunting. My left arm and my left leg started tingling on me. I nearly died and it was enough to wake me up. You know, being on the top side of the grass is a good alternative to smoking. I still hunt, and now it's getting time where the grandkids are gonna start going, and I wanna be there for that. Call 1-800-QUIT-NOW or visit projectfilter.org. Cable One brings high-speed internet to the greatest town on Earth, yours. Now you can get up to 100 megs for just $45 a month for six months. No deposit, no contract. Enjoy faster downloads, better streaming, up to 100 megs, $45 a month for six months. Connecting is easy. Call 877-687-1427 or visit CableOne.net today. Restrictions apply. Call Cable One for details. How much you want to make a bet I can throw a football over the mountains? And boom goes the dynamite. I don't know what we're yelling about! I don't know how to put this, but kind of a big deal welcome back to the idaho sports prep cast presented by project filter and again we are joined by matt harris the sport information director here for idahosports.com and boy it doesn't seem like it but we're already two-thirds of the way through the high school football season a lot to digest and not a lot of time left before the playoffs begin it just seems like yesterday we were rolling up our sleeves getting ready to start the season back in august and now we're almost done with the regular season crazy how time flies yeah, it's one of those things. It's just unbelievable how fast the season is going. And maybe that's just because I feel like I'm busier than I've ever been before. And things just happen to, to go to be that way. You know, that it goes, it just goes so, so fast now. But it's, uh, it's kind of crazy how close the, the playoffs are. They're almost here, you know, basically. And it's just very, very interesting to see how fast the season has gone. I don't know if everyone feels the same way. I probably, I, I'm, I'm sure you feel the same way, but I don't know about like coaches or the players or, or whatnot, but I certainly feel like this has just gone very, very quickly this year. Well, we're ready for the fun part of the year now as we stop and talk about what happened last week. Talk about your game first. You were in Rexburg as the Rigby Trojans invaded Madison to take on the Bobcats, and boy, a 48-14 to victory for Madison, and, and that's an impressive win. Talk about what you saw from the Bobcats in that one and kind of how they came on top by as many as they did. Well, I think the biggest thing in this ball game, Sven, was that Madison, their defense brought it. And they forced turnovers. They forced four turnovers 
in the first half. Two fumbles and two interceptions, all four of which ended up going for touchdowns in the end uh, that led to touchdowns from the offense. Um, so that was, that was a big thing, certainly. I think that was the, the defense came to play. And it wasn't just one player. It was a different player every single time. Uh, so that was certainly big. Uh, for Madison. I think as well, they finally got their offense back on track. It it felt like Madison's offense had been stuck in neutral, so to speak. Um, The Bobcats, they had struggled at times once they got inside the red zone. I had a chance to talk to Mitch Mitch Buck prior to the uh, game, and he basically said, you know, we have just struggled once we've got inside the 20s. We just can't finish drives. Now, they have an excellent field goal kicker in uh, Spencer Hathaway, but uh, obviously you want to get you want to get uh, seven points coming out of that. You want to get a touchdown uh, coming out, out of those red zone drives. And so uh, for Madison to be able to finally figure that out and to do so against a team that some had thought might be able to sneak a win against Madison or had played and had played some of these very difficult opponents rather closely and to play the way that they did uh, certainly is a, a statement to Madison. I think another thing as well is that Jordan Porter really finally got on track for the Bobcats at, at quarterback. And uh, he only went 8 of 16 passing, but he had 98 yards passing for three touchdowns. And then you look at the rushing as well. He rushed 14 times for 82 yards. He kept plays alive. He kept drives alive. He moved the sticks. Uh, he made multiple men miss every time he ran with the football. Uh, so he finally, I felt like he got back on track. And for Rigby, you know, they've, uh, they, they still have some growing pains, so to speak. Uh, you know, they didn't have... Uh, Keegan Thompson at quarterback once again. He was uh, unable to play due to an ankle injury for the second straight week. So they, they turned to Mason Priest, and Priest kind of struggled in that ball game. He, he did complete 10 of 16 passes for 78 yards, but he had three interceptions. And uh, that obviously those interceptions are momentum swinging as well. They've, they did eventually get some things going uh, in the rushing attack uh, for, for Rigby, for example. Now look at Brigham Youngstrom. He had 13 rushing attempts for 98 yards and a touchdown. Tui Tofa, eight uh, rushing attempts for 54 yards and a touchdown. He did a, those two did a pretty good job overall. The passing game just was not the strength of Rigby, and that was, and I think that was one of the main things that led to their undoing in that contest. But it was 31 nothing at halftime for Madison, and mentally it's really tough to come back from a major deficit of that sort you know, against your rival with only a half to play, so to speak. Yeah, five turnovers in the football game for Rigby. It's tough to win games when that is the case. A little uncharacteristic for the Trojans in that one. As we move to the 5A SIC, Capital quarterback Ryan Hibbs, he was outstanding in a 36-22 win on the road at Skyview. First time that Capital has ever played at Skyview, and I hear their bus had a hard time even finding it, let alone getting there. So they finally got there, and boy, they came out raring and ready to go. 310 yards and four touchdowns in the first half. For Ryan Hibbs, he'd finish with 397 yards. Jonah Blackham was fantastic as well. 11 receptions, 208 yards, and a pair of touchdowns. And we've got ourselves a really interesting race for that third or fourth spot, so to speak, in the 5A SIC. Capital is tied right now with Mountain View and Eagle for third place right now. And, you know, Rocky Mountain seems to kind of be that team that everybody says, okay, you know, I think that these guys might have the shot to just take home the hardware of the regular season crown. But, boy, these teams, they're not going to go down without a a fight. Every week just seems to be a real backyard brawl there. And I know I'm looking forward to the games on Thursday this week. Mountain View takes on Eagle, or excuse me, Mountain View takes on Bora at Donna Larson Park. And then Rocky Mountain 
heads to Eagle. So we're going to learn a lot more here this week as well. Yeah, it's interesting. These guys are going to make my life difficult when it comes to figuring out tie-breaking scenarios as we head into the you know, later portions of uh, the high school football season. But, uh, you know, I think I've said this before. I think I've said this to you, in fact. I feel like the SIC at times, it, since they don't play any non-conference games, like, I mean, they start with conference games from week one. It's, you kind of think of it almost like, are, are they just beating up on each other? Where do they fit into the realm of high school football around the state? Where do they really rank? Because you don't have those non-conference games, it's a little bit harder to tell. But I feel like that they are kind of maybe a little bit like the SEC, the Southeastern Conference of you know Idaho football, just because of all the prowess that the SEC has. You're going to normally see at least two, maybe even three teams from the SIC in the state football rankings. And I think that... Uh, you know, they just kind of – there's a lot of talent there, but they beat up on each other so much. It's, there's the, the, the line between who's one, who's two, or like in the pecking order in the SIC is just so much uh, – it's so close. The lines are so close this year, whereas other years you could say, yep, they're a clear-cut number one. They're a clear-cut number two. This year, not quite so much, Spen. Yeah, and Rocky Mountain, the team that I mentioned earlier, they're uh, running back Nick Romano. 270 yards and four touchdowns and a 48-0 win over Meridian. And Meridian is not a bad football team. The Grizzlies held them to 109 total yards. So that stood out to me from the 5A classification here this last week. We dropped down to 4A, and a couple of games caught my eye. I'll, I'll tell you which ones they are, and you could tell me if anything else stood out to you. But Century... All over Twin Falls, 42-13. Nampa handled Columbia 49-21 on the road. And then a major surprise for me coming from CUNA, a homecoming win for the Cavemen. They knock off Valley View, an improved football team, 33-23. Obviously, you can also mention Hillcrest playing without Jordan Neuerberg. They're running back, defeating Skyline 13-12. And those are some of the things that, that stood out to me from this last week. Just really impressive efforts by those teams. Well, yeah, you look at Nampa, first of all. They haven't had a lot of success. Uh, of course, they've been in 5A for quite some time, and they were able to uh, come away with a big win over a Columbia team that had really shocked some people to begin the year. Uh, so certainly for Nampa, they're trying to keep uh, their abilities in to be in the playoff, uh, playoff contention alive. Uh, I think the big game, at least for, for me over here, was uh, Hillcrest and Skyline. And a lot of people had pegged those two teams as the top two in the High Country Conference. And unfortunately, you know, as we mentioned, they weren't, both weren't at full strength. You know, Jordan Neuerberg was out for Hillcrest, but Cruz Taylor was out for Skyline as well. As I understand it, he had a broken collarbone, that, which he suffered in the Emotion Bowl. And so who knows when he's going to be able to be back or if he will be back this season. So that's kind of a big loss for them. But it was a, it was a close, hard-fought game uh, between those two. It came down to, in the end, who can pick up the first down and, and run out the clock and uh, Hillcrest was able to do that. I, I know that I'd seen CUNA against Thunder Ridge a couple of weeks ago, and you know, even though Thunder Ridge has been struggling this year, they held their hey, they held tough at first against CUNA, but CUNA finally started to get things going, and they looked like a team that had a much better record than they did at the time, which I believe was one and three or one and four. And so for them to knock off Valley View, a team which had been very much in the conversation for you know, potentially making it to the to the and earning a state bid to the playoffs. You know, that certainly that loss to CUNA has to put a damper on them on their playoff hopes as they move forward. Now, uh, you have to look at their schedule and see what they have remaining to determine you know their chances of making it to the playoffs. But you know, when you're in a, when you're in a conference like they are in the SIC where you don't have many non-conference games, I think there's only 
uh, one non-conference game for each school if they choose to play that. You know, every game counts, and so for them to lose to a CUNA team, which is which was below them in the conference standings to that point, certainly is a big blow, and they're going to have to rebound this week. And for CUNA, you know, they, their schedule moving ahead, they got a pretty good opportunity. But on the other side of things, Valley View, they have had an absolute gauntlet. Their last two weeks, they take on Middleton and Nampa, both at home, and, and those teams, they might have a combined what, one or two losses between them by the time that game comes against Valley View. So that is a tough, tough schedule moving forward. In the 3A classification, Homedale, they got that number one ranking by beating Fruitland last week. And then they came out and they had another impressive performance against Vail, Oregon. 55-22, to Mason Kinchlow ran for 157 yards and three touchdowns, while Fruitland escaped the Weezer Wolverines, winning 21-14. to Marsh Valley, an impressive effort against South Fremont, 35-12 to in that one. Peyton Campbell, their running back, who you'll have a chance to see this week against Snake River, ran for 240 yards and had four touchdowns on the ground. And big bruising running back, nice defense. Marsh Valley is a team that's opened people's eyes throughout the season. We continue to mention that. But I think this week against Snake River, a nice little test for them in a conference game where it really matters for both teams. And there's so much on the line when you just play a two-game conference slate. Boy, and it's been a long time since it's been Marsh Valley being talked about in that conference. You have to go all the way back to 2011 when they actually won the conference heading into the uh, state tournament, and then they ended up falling, Marsh Valley did. I believe it was, uh, I can't remember which team it was, too. It actually might have been Snake River, to be honest with you. Uh, they might have fallen to them in the, in the playoffs itself, and um, I'm just going to check that really fast here. But uh, what the, for Marsh Valley, you know, the, the conditions are setting up well for them to potentially make a run here to being the conference champions. Because first of all, there's only three teams in their conference, them, Snake River, and American Falls. Second of all, Friday night could be a very wet, windy sort of night. And that plays into the style of offense that Marsh Valley runs. You know, they want to be that, that uh, three yards in a cloud of dust, so to speak. They don't mind doing that. So I think that's a big thing uh, for them. And as I look it up, yes, it was uh, Friday, November the 11th, 2011. They fell to Snake River 35-8 to in the state playoffs. And that, since that time, Marsh Valley has struggled to be relevant, so to speak, uh, in, the, in, the, in the realm of things in 3A football. They're trying to change that now. And a win at Snake River on Friday night would do wonders for that program. And not only, you know, basically reestablishing themselves as, hey, we're, we're here, we can play, we're pretty good. You know, but also getting them back in the conversation of, all right, where do we fall in the, the realm of 3A football? I know they've been getting some votes in the coaches' poll and also the state media poll. And so for them, if they could, if they could win at Snake River on Friday night, that would be a big step forward for them uh, in terms of uh, returning to prominence in the conference. But for Snake River, you know, they picked up their first win last week, and they want to defend the home field turf. And they've, they've beaten Marsh Valley like six straight years, I believe it is, something along those lines. Um, and it's one of those things for Snake River where, you know, they don't necessarily, they're not ready to give up their crown in the conference, but they have a very young team this year. They might finally still be getting it together. I know that their head coach, Jeb Harrison, told me in our preview, he said that he felt that they will be ready to go by the time conference play rolls around. Well, conference play is here now. It's up to them to show us that they're ready to go and to take the conference once again. They got a big win against Teton last week. They'll try and carry that forward here this week against Marsh Valley, a game that'll be live and free on IdahoSports.com. Again, Matt Harris, Sport Information Director of IdahoSports.com, is on the phone right now here for the weekly rewind of what happened around the state last week. Kimberly blew out Filer 
by a score of 55-14. to Their quarterback, Braxton Hammond, 351 yards and six touchdowns. Priest River trailed Orofino 18-0 in the fourth quarter, and boy, they came back. 40 seconds left. Keegan Hagel, a six-yard touchdown run, and then a two-point conversion. Robbie Anselmo, the quarterback, to Brett Gordon, and that gave the Spartans a 20-18 win over Orofino. In the 2A classification this last week, New Plymouth and McCall Donnelly both won, so they're going to match up this Friday night in New Plymouth. That's a matchup of unbeaten teams in the 2A WIC. Seth Mauter, a big night for New Plymouth last week against Marsing. 203 yards rushing and four touchdowns, while McCall Donnelly was led by Bo Carr. He ran for 144 yards and a touchdown. This game only seems to go right down to the wire as uh, these teams have kind of developed a little bit of a rivalry despite being so far apart from each other geographically. Yeah, you know, and it is when you can develop those sort of rivalries or you just have that game on your schedule, you're like, you know what, I'm going to circle that game right there. I'm going to circle that one because we know that's a big game. Even even if it's not a natural rivalry, it just develops into one. Those games always seem to be fun to watch, Sven. It was a good effort as well by Ryrie in their game against West Jefferson. They only fell 34-27, to but I think that was a nice effort by the Bulldogs against a West Jefferson team that a lot of people were talking about before the season, but I think we're still kind of kind of wondering what to expect out of the Panthers. We're going to learn a lot more when they go against North Fremont and Firth, but right now I think there's a level of intrigue over West Jefferson as far as what you're going to get against some of the better teams in the 2A ranks. Well, and here's the thing. I mean, they are 4-1 and one right now on the year, and they're not even talked about in the 2A classification. If, it, if that goes to show at all how competitive 2A is this year. But if they really want to open up some people's eyes, they can, if they beat North Fremont this week in Ashton, which is never an easy place to play, uh, if they can do that this week, that would uh, really open up some eyes around the state and who knows, maybe even get some votes in the media poll or even the coaches poll or what, what it may be. But, you know, West Jefferson lost a lot of players from last year, a lot of skill position players, I should say. Uh, but they're, they're a well-coached team. Jason Taylor is a good coach. He knows how to get his players ready to go. He, he makes sure that they're physical and that they're tough. And when you play West Jefferson, you're going to get beat up. It is going to be a physical game. And that's why, you know, this North Fremont-West Jefferson game is going to be really interesting to me. I think it could be a very, very physical game. And if West Jefferson were to knock off North Fremont, that would be a big statement in the realm of 2A football. It would definitely change the complexion of what people are talking about because just like you said, West Jefferson was getting talked about a little bit in the preseason and then the year started and I don't know what happened. I don't know if it's because they played their first game on a Saturday and everybody started to fall asleep on them, but I'm curious to see what they do, like you mentioned, against the North Fremont Huskies. That should be a good football game. As you move down to the 1A classification, as always, no shortage of things to talk about from last week, but the one that stood out to me the most, there's two of them. Start at the 1A D1 classification. Wilder quarterback Pablo Martinez threw for seven touchdowns in a win over Rimrock, and he did that on just eight passes. 84-6 to win over the Raiders, and, and Wilder's defense held Rimrock to just 16 yards while getting 560 yards of offense themselves. Just an incredible performance by Wilder against a Rimrock team that was 1-0 in the conference centering this week. Yeah, that's uh, when you can throw seven touchdown passes on eight total passes, that's incredible. I mean, that's an 88% conversion rate on that. That's ridiculous. Um, but, you know, for Wilder, it's, I think it was a, maybe it's a little bit of a statement from them, basically saying, hey, look, we know that we haven't been where we've wanted to be the last few years, 
This is a statement saying we're coming for the rest of the conference here, and we want to make that big statement. Of course, the, the week prior, they had lost to Idaho City 28-20, to and so maybe they're, they're getting a little bit of frustrations out maybe, and uh, on Rimrock, maybe that's what it is, but uh, maybe they're just trying to make that statement saying, okay, next time around when we play Idaho City on the 12th, you know, it'll be a different game. You know, and if there is a year for one of these District 3 schools out of the 1A Western Idaho Conference to go into the playoffs and potentially get a win in the first round, I think it might be this year because you look in the White Pine League and you see Prairie, and then behind them, what do you got? I mean, you have Lapway and you have Cambiai, and I think those are you know the two teams that you're looking at. Potlatch, though, they lost... Uh, 62 to nothing to Prairie last week. You know, Genesee struggling a little bit this year. Clearwater Valley is a good football team, but we saw Lapway handle them. So, you know, I think Wilder and Idaho City are a little bit better than they're getting credit for. And again, this isn't any knock towards the White Pine teams. Is they're, they're good football programs up there as well. But basically what I'm saying is that, you know, a team like Idaho City does not get talked about a ton, and it's because they're, you know, out there in the middle of nowhere a little bit. But, you know, got to look at them from a, a football perspective. They beat a good Wilder team that showed they're good with that win over Rimrock and, you know, win earlier this year against Tri-Valley. So, you know, we'll see how Wilder and Idaho City shape up as the year goes on. We'll have their game which will basically be a conference championship affair on October the 12th. That game will take place at Wilder. The other stat that stood out to me from the 1AD2 classification this week, the Mackey defense sacked Clark Water Springs 13 times, and they also had two pick sixes, a fumble recovery, and a safety. I've never seen anything quite like that before, 13 sacks. I mean, the Miners' defense, boy, impressive effort for them. Yeah, that's, uh, I don't think I've ever heard of that before. That's incredible. <laughs> that's a one way to stuff the stat sheet, certainly. But, and, and here's the thing is, uh, Mackey was coming into the air, and we kind of, no, no one really quite knew what to expect from Mackey, but I think they're starting to get it right now. And they have a major game this week against North Gem, which basically, if I understand correctly, is going gonna, is gonna to shake out for the conference championship and who's going to get uh, the easier of the two seeds, so to speak, uh, going into the play-in play round of the tournament. But, uh, you know, 13 sacks in a single game, that's incredible. That's, that's quite remarkable. And I, you, you know that Clark Water Springs, they're probably thinking, all right, how can we improve our protection here? You know that they're probably working on that in practice this week. And you're correct about that North Gem Mackey game. That's kind of for all the marbles. So we look at that, and that is going to be one of the games that we do in the Pick 6 segment, which is coming up next. This is the Idaho Sports Prepcast presented by Project Filter. My name's Jerry, and I smoke for 30-plus years. I was elk hunting. My left arm and my left leg started tingling on me. Nearly died, and it was enough to wake me up. You know, being on the top side of the grass is a good alternative to smoking. I still hunt, and now it's getting time where the grandkids are going to start going, and I want to be there for that. Call 1-800-QUIT-NOW or visit projectfilter.org. Don't worry, honey. You know how the media sensationalizes everything. Okay, that does it. You play to win the game. I thought that would be big news. You thought what would be big news? Final segment of the Idaho Sports Prepcast presented by Project Filter. It's time for our pick six segment. We'll also pick one upset that we think is going to occur from around the state. And we previewed it a little bit in the last segment that we're going to do Mackey at North Gem. We're going to save that for the last pick here. We'll instead start in the 4ASIC. Bishop Kelly 5-1 and one this season heads to CUNA on Thursday night to take on the Cavemen, who are 3-3 three and three overall and 2-3 and three in the SIC. This is a massive game, mainly for CUNA, the way I look at it, 
as if the Cavemen want to have a shot at the playoffs. They have got to get this win and continue to kind of run the table moving forward. So fun game in the SIC. This is a rivalry from the CUNA perspective. I know that they go out there and they want to beat Bishop Kelly as badly as they want to beat anybody. So who do you got in this one? Well, we know that CUNA is going to be desperate coming into this game because like you mentioned, I basically feel like they have to win this game. They have no choice. They have to win this game if they want to keep their playoff hopes alive. And I'm looking at it from a Bishop Kelly perspective of Bishop Kelly, okay, two weeks ago they lost to Middleton. Last week they pummeled Caldwell. I, I, for, for, me, for me, I'm coming into this one saying Bishop Kelly also knows what's at stake. They also know that CUNA, the, the potential that they have – but I think that Bishop Kelly is going to get the job done here. I'm taking the Knights to win this one. Well, and I think you look at Bishop Kelly, it's kind of an eye-opener to look at what CUNA did last week to Valley View. I don't think that they're going to be caught sleeping, so to speak, on the caveman here this week. And I think Bishop Kelly comes in on the road with the running back Ian Arellano and wins that football game against CUNA. Fruitland is at Declo, a battle of championship teams from a year ago. Fruitland 3-2 and two on the season, a tight win last week against Weezer and Declo coming off a bye. They are 5-0 and this year, ranked number one in the 2A media pool. And this game is one that I know a lot of people have had circled on their calendars throughout the offseason. And now finally it comes to fruition this Friday from Declo. Uh, should be a good one out there. Yeah, it absolutely should. I mean, it's not too often that you get previous year's champions matching up on the field, let alone 3A, 2A of this matter. You know, Declo has done a really good job of scheduling uh, excellent opponents in non-conference play uh, over the past few years. Of course, they only have one team in their conference, so that, that opens themselves up to being able to have a lot of non-conference games. But to get a, a matchup uh, between Declo and Fruitland at this point in the season, this is kind of rare. This is normally right where you know Fruitland is in the middle of their conference play, or if they're potentially even on their bye week. But uh, this is an interesting one, just because I feel like Declo has been going strong still. Declo has has not tapered off in any way, shape, or form uh, from their performance at all. Fruitland, however, has been up and down. They, there's been questions there uh, for Fruitland. I mean, you you look at their last three games, okay? September the 14th, they lost to Middleton 41-18. to September 21st, blanked by Homedale for the first time in more than a decade, 34 to nothing. Last week, they escaped Weezer, uh, 21 to 14. Uh, you wonder how much injuries are playing a factor here, uh, and how much of it is just you know the, the change in the offense that they instituted at the beginning of the year. If it's been beginning to catch up to them, if defenses are being able to adjust to it. For Declo, however, you look at their last three weeks, for example. They beat Kimberly 58-34. They beat Buell 68-0. They beat Teton 42-12. As long as Declo stays healthy, I don't see any reason in this one why their performance should taper off. I'm going to take the Declo Hornets to uh, beat Fruitland. And I think the thing I like from Declo's perspective is that they're at home and they're coming off a of bye week. They have a couple of weeks to prepare for this football game. Fruitland was in a dogfight last week against Weezer, which they won 21-14. But as a result of kind of getting the legs fresh and heading out there fully healthy, I look at Declo, and I think they're going to win this football game at home coming up on Friday night. Another matchup of teams on opposite ends of the state takes place in Columbia. Columbia High School, the host is Idaho Falls comes in from District 6. The Tigers 3-3 three and three on the season, Columbia 3-3 three and three as well. This is an intriguing matchup in the 4A against teams that look to have a shot at the playoffs they're going to have to do some work here in the last few weeks but really a good early October non-conference game 
Yeah, again, not too often you get these sort of non-conference games at this juncture of the season, but here we are. And, you know, to get a matchup of two of these cross-state teams, and I think if you looked at it at the beginning of the year, you wouldn't have thought maybe too much about this. But with the performance that both Idaho Falls and Columbia has brought forth since the start of the year, this game makes it a little bit more interesting because it kind of helps shape up, you know, how both conferences would potentially fare against each other, which, of course, we're going to see in the playoffs. And for Idaho Falls, you know, they're coming off of a big win against Blackfoot, one that they absolutely had to have in order to keep their playoff hopes alive. Basically, from here on out, they have to win out in conference play. So for a a matchup for them against Columbia, which which will also help them kind of see how they shape up against statewide competition, I think Columbia in this one, you know, obviously being the home team, they're going to be able to be a little bit more rested, won't have the bus legs that Idaho Falls may have. Uh, but for them, it's going to be how, how well can they execute their, their running offense, their, their rushing attack. Uh, you know, we've talked about uh, Alamar Alexander. You know, we've talked about him and how well he has uh, played uh, in, in previous weeks. Uh, but it seems like that play has kind of tapered off for Columbia in, in recent weeks as they've uh, kind of struggled the past weeks. They lost to Valley View. They lost to Nampa. Uh, they did knock off CUNA back on September the 14th. Um, but... For Columbia coming in 3-3, three and three, I think they have to be happy with their play so far this year, but that doesn't necessarily mean that their play is done. They can certainly pull out a win here again against Idaho Falls if they play their game and if they have most everyone healthy. I just think that Idaho Falls is a little bit more balanced overall, and I think the Tigers are going to come away winning this one. You did all the heavy lifting there as far as analyzing the football game. I'll just go simple and say I think Idaho Falls wins the game as well. So I keep it simple on my pick. We're halfway through the pick six (laughs) segment here with Idaho Sports Sport Information Director Matt Harris. Three more games left to pick, and we've got the St. Mary's Lumberjacks lumped into this pick six here this week. They're 5-1 and and taking on Grangeville 6-0, a massive game in the 2A Central Idaho Conference. And I picked against St. Mary's a couple of weeks ago. So do you think I learned my lesson this week, Matt? I don't know. <laughs> Did you tell him the story of uh, of the pick? <laughs> yeah, I, I de- uh, yeah, I decided to pick an upset of uh, Timberlake over St. Mary's, and uh, needless to say, I will not be picking against the Lumberjacks again this year. So I picked St. <laughs> Mary's to win the game, and Matt, you can go ahead and, and do the analyzing of this football game, but St. Mary's is going to win. Well, I'll, I'll tell you this. Grangeville is pl- having one of their best seasons uh, in the past couple of seasons. Grangeville has, if you look at uh, what they have so far, what they've been able to accomplish uh, for Grangeville. You've got to look at, first of all, uh, the fact that they have played multiple teams bigger than them and they have beaten them all. That's, that's the first thing. Uh, the second thing is you've got to see who those teams are. Okay, they opened up the year with a 24-point win against Moscow. All right? Then they played Clarkston, Washington, and beat them. Then they played Priest River and Kellogg and beat them. They played McCall Donnelly, and they beat them. They beat Napa Christian as well. They're in their conference play. I guess they're league play now. And the way that I look at this, Sven, is I feel like this is the conference title game. No disrespect to Orofino, but I feel like this is the conference title game between St. Mary's and Grangeville. And uh, if St. Mary's were to pull the upset here, it would be very, very big for Craig Teft and the Lumberjacks. I think that's, a, that's something that would upset the order of things in 2A because Grangeville has been talked about as a number one team. You know, obviously Declo is still rolling on that long win streak dating back to last year. Uh, and they're, they're ranked number one. But Grangeville has been getting a lot of number one votes in the coaches' poll. And they've bounced around anywhere from two to four. And I think some people are starting to realize just how good the Grangeville Bulldogs are and the schedule that they've played, you know, making, making it a little bit tougher on them in their non-conference play to help prepare them 
for state tournament action. I look at this one, I think it's going to probably be another knock them down, drag them out sort of a game. The past couple of years uh, between these two schools, the game has been, I guess you could call it ugly, I guess. I mean, you look at last year's game, it was 30-29, to 29, so a close, ugly game. Uh, the year before that, it was 8 nothing in favor of St. Mary's. This year, I think Grangeville just has a little bit more. I'm going to take the Bulldogs over the Lumberjacks, and I'm waiting to get a text message from someone in St. Mary's saying, Really? Really? Grangeville? But I'm going with the Bulldogs. Well, they'll send it to owner-operator Paul Kingsbury instead because they've got his phone number. But nonetheless, it'll get forwarded (laughs) over to you. And one of the things, you mentioned Grangeville, all the places they've traveled and went so far here in the preseason schedule, so to speak, they've been everywhere. And I was sitting in the parking lot at Priest River after their game against the Spartans, and there were some parents out there talking about how they just can't find games to schedule any closer than that. And you look at geographically speaking, the team's, uh, you know, in the area, you can't go anywhere other than to play Moscow or to play the 3A IML or, you know, travel all the way down to play Napa Christian, which this year they had them at home. But, you know, nonetheless, there's only so much you can do with your schedule, and that goes for a few of the North teams, but especially Grangeville with their location up there. Uh, another battle of District 1 versus District 2 teams, Coeur d'Alene is at Lewiston this week. Lewiston, a tough place to play. And Coeur d'Alene, ranked number two in the state media poll, coming in this week 5-0 and against Lewiston, which is 5-1. and I've been impressed by what I've seen in the early season uh, for Lewiston, but Coeur d'Alene undefeated coming off a, a bye last week. So you know that Sean Amos will have them prepared for the Bengals here in this big conference opener for both teams. And you know, if you think about it, Sven, Lewiston is, is basically two points away from being undefeated. They lost to Idaho Falls 34-33 to to open the year. But since that time, they've allowed zero points, 10 points, zero points, 12 points, and 15 points against their competition. So you've got to credit their defense for the things that they've been able to do. But Coeur d'Alene is an entirely different animal here. Coeur d'Alene, 5-0. I know that uh, Sean Amos was quoted uh, basically saying that, uh, you know, to be 5-0 and heading into this point of the season, they have to be very, very happy with what they were able to accomplish. You know, they, they picked up an ugly win against Rigby, 29-26. Then they beat Gonzaga Prep, which is traditionally a power in Washington. They beat them by two touchdowns. Then they beat, beat Mead Washington by two touchdowns. Then Eisenhower by a lot of points, 52-14. to 14. And then, of course, they knocked off Highland a couple of weekends ago, 42-20. to 20. So to be able to be at the spot where they are at right now, you know, I'm looking at this game, and it's going to be the big question of how does the Coeur d'Alene offense stack up against the Lewiston defense? And I think the offense has the advantage, and that's why I'm picking the Vikings to not only win this game, but to win the remainder of their schedule. I think they're going to run the table heading into the playoffs. Wow, you're making more predictions than I even asked for there. You went all out there on that one, Matt. Yeah, hey, I mean, I, I, I won't be back on the prep cast according to the schedule until, you know, uh, the first weekend of the playoffs, so I guess we'll have to check back in during that first week of the playoffs and see if my prediction was right. You know, I, I think that you've got a pretty good shot at that one. I like Coeur d'Alene in this football game as well. Their remaining schedule will obviously see them play Post Falls and Lake City. Coeur d'Alene over Lewiston for both of us on the picks. Last one, which we teased prior to commercial break, Mackey is at North Gem. The Miners, 13 sacks last week. In their win over Clark Water Springs, they are three and three on the season, two and zero in conference play. North Gem two and three overall, and one and zero in league play. Uh, this one in the one A D two ranks is big for playoff positioning, Matt. Yeah, it is because whoever, if Mackey wins this game, and if they win this game, they're going to be 
the uh, conference champions because they'll have already played their entire schedule. Now they had uh, there's some cancellations on the schedule with some teams dropping out. Um, so you know that that's why this is their this is actually the final game listed on their regular season schedule. So this is the conference championship game with them having already beaten Rockland and Clark Water Springs. So they know what's on the line here. North Gem, on the other hand, they can basically seize the opportunity to be the conference champion by winning this game and then beating Rockland next week. So, there, again, there's a lot on the line here for both teams. If you look at the play from both teams this year, let's, let's start with North Gym here, okay? They played a very difficult non-conference schedule. They played Valley, they played Rap River, they played Chalice, and they played Butte County. They only went 1-3 in those games, the, the one win against Butte County, 48-42 in the opener. Since that time, though, you know, they, they fell to Chalice, 44-18. They lost to Rap River, 44-6. Lost to Valley, 48-6. Last, or excuse me, a couple weeks ago, they beat North Gem or beat Clark Water Springs. Excuse me, forty-six to six. So there you have it. You know they've, they've, they're only two and three on the year, but they're they are better than what their record indicates. If you look at Mackey, though, the, the difference for the Miners right now is they haven't been able to win on the road yet this year. They played at Dietrich and lost by ten. They played at Chalice and lost by forty-eight. Uh, the, their only other loss on the schedule was against Oakley at home, and that was a sixty-two twenty loss. But their three wins on the year have come at home against Clark Water Springs, Rockland, and Murtaugh. So the big question is here, which team shows up on the road for Mackey? And I think Mackey knows exactly, like I said earlier, they know what's on the line here, and they know what they could be seizing by winning this game. And I'm going to give them a slight, ever so slight advantage over North Gym because of that. I'm going to pick the Mackey Miners to win the conference in this game uh, on Friday. I think North Gym has really tested themselves in the non-conference, but you look at Mackey and you could say the exact same thing about some of the teams that the Miners have went up against. I think that as far as teams heading into this game a little bit hotter, I look at Mackey and uh, I'm impressed over what they've done the last few weeks. I think Travis Trussell, the new head coach, has their defense headed in the right direction and uh, it seems like they've stayed healthy enough and I think that Mackey gets the win in this football game. So that's our pick six segment. And a couple things left to do. We'll tell you our webcast schedule for this next week. But first, our upset pick. The Matt Harris upset special of the week is what, Matt? Well, this is going to be an interesting pick. Uh, and I'm going I'm to stick it in, keep it in southeast Idaho for this upset. Heading into this contest, both teams have similar records. Bear Lake and Malad have similar records. Bear Lake's only win on the year was against Rich Utah, a traditionally powerful team that has been struggling this year. But Bear Lake is a very young team this year. You look at Malad, on the other hand, they only have one win as well. That's coming against Wendell uh, on the third week of the season. Uh, in Malad, they've had some struggles in the past. Obviously, they broke a long losing streak when they beat Wendell. I think in this game, Malad is going to defeat Bear Lake and pick up their second win of the year. Now, I'm looking at this from the perspective of transitive property here. You look at Soda Springs beat Bear Lake 42-16. to You look at Malad, they lost to Soda Springs 40-38, to and that was a game that Malad had led for pretty much the entire way. They just couldn't quite hang on. I think that Malad learns from that experience. They licked their wounds from last week's big loss against Westside, and the Malad Dragons will pick up their second win of the year and defeat Bear Lake. That is my upset pick. I like it. Drop it to the 2A Southeast Idaho Conference. I'm going to go way, way bigger of an upset here for, for what I've got. Century has never beat Highland, and uh, I like the Diamondbacks to do it this week. I am going with Travis Hobson's Century Diamondbacks over the Highland Rams in that game 
taking place on Thursday night, 7 o'clock at Holt Arena. The Diamondbacks come into this football game, Matt, off of a five-game winning streak. They defeated Idaho Falls 31-28 to back on August 31st, and since then, they've disposed of Pocatello, Preston, Burley, and Twin Falls pretty easily. The common opponent here, there's a couple of them, as Century defeated Twin Falls 42-13, to Highland beat the Bruins 31-14. to You look at Pocatello, that's another common opponent. Century won 42-16, to and Highland won 37-21. to You look at that, and it doesn't tell you everything, but Century has beat both those opponents by more points than Highland did. I also think that Century's kind of humming right now. They've got a lot of things working well for them. They put up over 40 points four weeks in a row, and I think they continue it. I'm not picking against Century this week. I am rolling with the Diamondbacks. They knock off Highland for the first time in school history here on Thursday night. That would be a massive upset should that happen. The closest game, that I should say the closest that this matchup has been in recent memory was 2013 when uh, Highland got a late touchdown to defeat Century 27-23. That was in uh, September 6, 2013, only the second game of the season, and that uh, was when that the when Dave Spillett was still the head coach at Century, and the Diamondbacks, or yeah, the Diamondbacks fell to Bishop Kelly, I believe it was, in the state semifinals in overtime at Holt Arena. So, you know, that was a, that was a good season for Century, and they couldn't quite do it then. That would be a big upset here if Century could do that. That's a bold that's a bold pick there, Spen. And I think that if Century wants to be right in the mix of the state title talk for 4A, which I think they should be at this point. I think that this is the week where they can put themselves on the map and at least make it close and really competitive against Highland. We've seen some of these games not so close over the years. I think this one will be close regardless, but I just have I have kind of a feeling this week, a nice win last week against Twin Falls, and you know they're going to be back at Holt Arena again. We'll see what happens, but it should be a good one between Century and Highland this week. We'll talk about our broadcast schedule for this week now is on Thursday plenty of action all these games 7 o'clock for the kickoff BK is at CUNA Buell at Wendell Holmdale takes on Parma Mountain View versus Bora is at Donna Larson Park Rocky Mountain at Eagle and Shelley at Hillcrest our Friday night schedule looks like this Centennial versus Capital at Donna Larson Park Coeur d'Alene is at Lewiston 7 o'clock Pacific on that kick time 5A IEL play gets underway Fruitland at Declo, Idaho Falls at Columbia, Marsh Valley at Snake River, a big conference game in the 3A Southeast Idaho Conference, McCall Donnelly at New Plymouth, a 2A Western Idaho Conference affair, and Soda Springs at American Falls in non-conference football action. So that's what's coming up this week. Got our pick six segment in already. That's all we have for you here this week. Episode 6 of the Idaho Sports Prepcast presented by Project Filter. Special thanks again goes out to Matt Harris, the Sport Information Director of IdahoSports.com for coming on this week. Until next time, so long everybody.